Um, I want to read this morning from uh, James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Uh, the story actually is expanded on in 1 Kings chapter 18. We're not going to read the story this morning in 1 Kings 18. Many of you will know it. It's the story of uh, the prophet Elijah confronting King Ahab, the showdown on Mount Carmel, and God answers by fire. Wonderful story. We'll look at the latter part of that uh, in a little bit uh, as far as Scripture is concerned. We're not going to read it this morning, but that story is alluded to in James chapter 5 in the context of what it is that James wants to share in this area of prayer. James chapter 5, verse 13. James writes, Is anyone among you in trouble? Then let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise to God. Isn't that a wonderful reminder? You know, when things are going great, don't stop praying. And don't forget God. When things are going great, thank the Lord. And when things aren't, pray, because you know the Lord and you love Him. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Will you read that verse with me? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Righteous doesn't mean you're perfect. Righteous means that Jesus lives within you, and He is perfect, and He is powerful, and He is effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. So in other words, if we look at Elijah's life in a few moments, remember this. He was a human being. He was a normal person like you and me. The same fears, the same questions, and yet the same faith to step out and be used by God. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I think it's probably safe to say this morning that all of us would like to pray effective prayers. We would like to all be able to pray prayers that actually turn things around. And that's what James is talking about here. And he shares an example of that kind of prayer where God had told Elijah at one point to pray a certain way, and Elijah did, and it stopped raining in the land of Israel for three and a half years. And then after God's instruction, Elijah prays again for rain, and it rains. Elijah prayed in a way that a situation was literally transformed. And here's the key. The blessing of God began to flow in a place and in a way that it had not flowed for some time. This morning I want to talk about the kind of prayer that moves into the invisible realm and it breaks strongholds where the powers of darkness have been controlling a particular situation for a period of time. That kind of prayer. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, we read these words. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and he said, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, Elijah is sent by God to King Ahab of Israel. Ahab is married to Jezebel. Jezebel is the high priestess of the Canaanite worship of Baal. She's the one who had most of God's prophets murdered, in order to advance the worship of Baal, or what we call today Satanism, which basically involved just the ruthless sacrifice of human life. 
Now, the word Baal actually means master. And I want you to think in your mind the contrast between that label of master and the actual father heart of God toward his people. Baal was a cruel taskmaster, and his religion was one of fear. In fact, part of Baal worship also included the worship of Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth was a, a, a female or a matriarchal worship system that included, among other things, perverted sex. And the product of that perverted sex was the birth of children, the prostitutes of the temple being impregnated, the worship of the temple being impregnated, giving birth to children, and these children were used as human sacrifices to the god of Baal. That was the whole purpose of that religion. Now, you may be tempted to think, for example, archaeologists have found when they've un, 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 dug out some of these walls that many of the walls actually contain jars with the skeletons of infants. And again, when we read things like that, and especially our culture, but even as believers, we read things like that, we think, well, that's just the superstitious practice of, of a primitive people back you know, a few thousand years ago. But let me point out something, friends, if you haven't noticed. There has been a revival of matriarchal worship in our culture. There has been a revival of the worship of Baal and the worship of Asterisk today that is seen in our day by the bones of aborted children that are tossed into garbage bins like trash. Don't think for a moment that we are any more advanced. Don't think for a moment that we don't fight the exact same powers or confront the same ones that Elijah did in his day. But the point is this, that in the days of Elijah, the days of King Ahab, it was a very extremely, extremely evil rule. And it's no exaggeration to say that Ahab, I believe, is a biblical picture of what consistently happens every time evil moves in and begins to take over a life or take over a situation. You see, Ahab is an evil king. Satan is the king of evil. And when we find ourselves in a situation where it's obvious that the blessing of God is no longer free to flow, when we find ourselves in a situation as individual believers or as a congregation within a community we're called to minister to, when we find we're in a season of prolonged dry spells, then we know as the people of God it is because the prince of the power of the air, the prince of darkness, is ruling. And he needs to be confronted. And he needs to be cast out. Amen? He needs to be driven out. Now, it hadn't rained in Israel for a significant period of time, three and a half years. And it was the direct result of the people of God turning their back on their heavenly Father to serve a master who steals and destroys. Hear me, friends. In an agricultural culture, when you have no rain for three and a half years, this is not a passing inconvenience. This is serious. People are dying. Animals are dying. And for those who are surviving, they're living just by you know, the skin of their teeth. They're holding on. They're, they're you know, emaciated. They're starving. They are hungry. There is nothing at all around them of any evident blessing. And the story, I believe, for us this morning has a lot to say to our situation because to begin with, there was a dry spell that was the direct result of an evil ruler. Every one of us here this morning, we either have in the past, or we are presently, or we will one day experience times when it seems like nothing is growing. Anybody relate to that? It just seems like nothing's changing. It just seems like the promises of God 
are not evident. And it ought to concern the people of God when we read the Word of God and His promises and we don't see them in our midst. It ought to concern the people of God. There ought to be something in our spirit that begins to be stirred and says, Lord, nothing is changing and it doesn't look like tomorrow's any more promising. Well, those are called dry spells or droughts. And God's intended blessing has stopped because the powers of hell have moved in. And they've begun to take control of a situation or they've begun, begun to take control of a mindset or of a culture, whatever it may be. But I want us to see in this story is this. Into this situation, the Lord sends Elijah. Notice that. Elijah doesn't say, God, where are you? God, how come you don't care? It's God who actually initiates it, and he says, Elijah, it's time for you to go and confront this king Ahab. I want you to notice that. He didn't say, Elijah, go and pay Ahab a visit. He's saying, Elijah, it is time to confront this evil king whose rule has been destructive. The objective is very, very clear. The objective is to break the powers of evil, is to confront and to overthrow the powers of evil. Why? In order that God's blessing can be released. In order that the people might know that God is real. In order to bring healing and health in the form in that day of rain. Hear me, saints. I believe with all my heart that God is calling His prophet to move into confrontation with this king who represents the evil and that's responsible for the drought. And what I want to focus on this morning is simply this. The people of God purposely confronting the powers of evil with passionate prayer. Do you hear me this morning? Purposely understanding what God is calling us to. Now, there are different forms of prayer, and everyone has its place. But there's also a time and a place for confrontational, fervent prayer where the people are not so much coming to God to ask God to do something as they are directing their attention at the powers of darkness in order for them to be shaken and cast down so the reign of God's blessing can flow again. Listen, I'll be the first one to say it's a wonderful thing that we can talk to God anywhere. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, it's wonderful that I can talk to the Lord driving in the car. I can talk to the Lord out in the yard doing yard work. I can talk to the Lord while I'm doing dishes. Things like, Lord, why am I doing the dishes? But friends, every one of us here this morning, we need to enlarge our, our prayer lives to include those times where we are literally pouring ourselves into fervent prayer. We are purposely moving in passionate prayer for the purpose of seeing darkness confronted and to see the blessing of God released once again, knowing it's happening because of prayers that are flowing from our lips. Knowing that we are engaged, we are purposeful, we are intentional, and we know that God is doing something because of our prayers. James says that this is the kind of prayer that is powerful and effective and it accomplishes much. And I want you to notice something, friends. We're dealing here with spiritual warfare. And some of the people of God we have to begin to get our minds around again is that spiritual warfare is not neat and tidy. No, no, spiritual warfare is not neat and tidy, as we're going to see in just a moment. And though your lack of involvement in intercessory prayer, spiritual warfare doesn't make you any less of a Christian, we need to understand that God is looking for a people who will understand their responsibility to move into this kind of prophetic anointing. 
He said, Elijah, go show yourself to Ahab. Why? Because I want this curse broken. I want the blessing to flow again. Enough time has gone by. The people are hungry. They're thirsty. They're coming to their senses. Now is the time for this to be broken. I need you to move forward. You see, one thing we have to understand is this. God wanted the rain to fall. You see, we have a society that turns its back on God. And here's what's happened. God promises that righteousness exalts a nation. Right living, a humble heart before God, will exalt or elevate your life. It doesn't mean life is always easy, but we can walk through everything with Jesus. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they are with me. They comfort me. We have that assurance. But when you walk under the blessing of God, under the hand of God, then God is able to make all things work together for the good to those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. But when a person or a society says, God, we don't want you, what happens? They begin to push the hand of God away. And that is not without consequence. Because as you push God away, as you make laws and decisions that continue to push his standard away, as you continue to flaunt evil in the face of God, God says, I will give you what you wish. I will, I will back away. But you've got to understand that when I back away, when I take the cover off the lid, other things are going to rush in. Other things that you give yourself to, other gods, you call them Baal, Ashrith, you can call them uh, humanism, you can call them enlightenment, you can call them new age, whatever you want, you've got to understand that new powers will enter in and you will get the fruit of who they are. They are not a heavenly father, they do not love you, they are cruel taskmasters. And you will become slaves to them as a culture and your culture will actually begin to rot from the inside out. It happens in a human life. It happens in a community or a society as large, at large rather. And so that is what the Lord wants them to understand. And he's asking the people of God to understand that God wants rain to fall. That's one of the wonderful things when you actually begin to step out of your comfort zone and you actually begin to engage people in conversation. You pray for people, whatever the Lord is leading you to do. You pick them up in a car. Here's something that's going to blow your mind. The average person in our society today is not hostile toward God. In the sense that maybe their lifestyle shows that, but it's amazing how open people are to actually hear about God, to understand that God actually loves them. God wanted the rain to fall. He wanted to bless the people, and that is why God is the one who brings this matter to a head, and he confronts this evil king before the rain returns. Now, we're not going to read the story. If you have your Bibles or your 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 phones or whatever, you can open it to 1 Kings 18. But basically what happens in the first 30 verses of 1 Kings 18 is that Elijah confronts Ahab. Now this is really interesting. When Elijah goes and finds Ahab and Ahab sees him coming, Ahab says to Elijah, what do you want, you troublemaker? Isn't that interesting? What do you want, you troublemaker? You see, the enemy is always going to put the, the onus on you. When you begin to rise up and say, things have got to change, this is not right, the enemy is going to come to you and say, this is all your fault. No, you see, it's this way because of you. And so because of that, it's not going to change. There's no reason for you to hope for it to change. You see, this has happened because you did that. This has happened because you failed God in this way. This is happening, whatever. It's always on you. People hear me this morning. When we see things that are not according to the will of God, we've got to understand the enemy is at work. 
And whether he has tripped you up, whether he has in some way convinced you and, and make, to make a mess of your life or whatever, you've got to understand that the author of this whole thing is the powers of darkness. And you've got to rise up and say, you know what? Whether or not I had any part to play in this, in the name of Jesus, I can be forgiven. And devil, I'm not going to let you hide behind those circumstances anymore. I'm not going to let you hide behind those excuses anymore, the blaming and the shame anymore. I come against you, I identify you in the name of Jesus because you are the author of this and it's going to change. We've got to understand who we're fighting against. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against mistakes. We're not fighting against even our willful sin. No, if there is, confess that. We are fighting against principalities and powers who disguise themselves in the everyday fabric of our lives and say, this is this because of this, because of you, so it's not going to change. And you say, yeah, well, maybe that was because of me, but you encouraged me. So I'm coming against you. And I'm going to bring down your power in my life. I'm going to confront you in this situation. And so I love what Elijah basically does, and I paraphrase. Elijah says, no, 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 king, no, no. It's because of you. You are the reason for the sin in this land. You are the reason for the problems, for the drought that's going on. You are the people's problems. And so I'm telling you what, I'm going to issue you a challenge. And he says, here's what we're going to do, king. And, you know, he kind of, I think he kind of just, you know, lets the king think that he's got the upper hand. He says, you can take all of your prophets. You can take your 400 prophets of Baal. You can take your 400 prophets of Asherah. Meet me on Mount Carmel. Just me. 850 to 1. Okay, in other words, king, you can't lose. You got nothing to lose. You, you know, you can save face. You're bound to win this. 850 against me. We're going to go on the mountain. We're going to build an altar, put a sacrifice on the altar, and whichever God answers by fire, that's the God who will win. That's the God that we will serve. So the prophets of Baal, they do that, and they go first. Try to imagine this. All day long in the hot desert sun, 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah, Satan worshipers, they're dancing around all day long. They are crying out loud. They are singing. They are cutting themselves. They're getting desperate because the, the, their God's not answering. And I love Elijah. I mean, Elijah just begins to kind of poke them a little bit. He says, well, where's your God? You've been here all day doing everything. Where is he? He's not answering. Maybe he's on the toilet. That's literally what he says. Maybe he's on the toilet and doesn't want to be disturbed. Anyways, nothing happens. Then finally they realize it's not going to happen, and up steps Elijah. God's representative, outnumbered 851, and he begins to tell them this. Now, begin to rebuild the altar. They do that. And to make sure people know there's no coincidence, he says, I want you to take buckets and buckets of water, saturate the altar, saturate the sacrifice, fill the trenches around the altar with water. And then he prays. He prays a prayer of maybe around 50 words. That's it. And the fire of God falls immediately. And the fire consumes the animal and the sacrifice. It consumes the stones themselves. It licks up all the water in the trenches. And when the people see this, the Bible says, they fall on their faces and they cry out, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. I would think so. He's God. Irrefutable. You listen to the McCormick share today. Simple testimony this morning. I so, Marcy and, and Alice initially there where you guys went, I so commend you. I so commend you. Friends, we've got to understand, when you confront the powers of evil, you're going to be afraid sometimes. Now, I know it's not written in the story, and I don't want to insert something that's not there, 
But I believe completely in my heart that when God sent Elijah to Ahab, the evil king, with a challenge, I don't believe Elijah just went along and said, hey, cool, Lord, I'll just go talk to him. Okay, Ahab, here's how it's going to go down. I believe that during the journey, while Elijah is going there, though Elijah has a word in his spirit, his natural mind is thinking, oh, God, I hope you show up. Lord, I know you can do it. I know you're powerful. I've seen you do great things. But I think along that journey, is that too crazy? The natural mind in Elijah is kind of processing this. Said, okay, God, I know you can, but are you going to? Don't make me look like a fool. You know, with all my heart, I believe Elijah struggled in the natural mind like that. But you see, Elijah was a man of the Spirit. Elijah was a man who knew where to put that process, that natural mind aside, and says, in the name of the Lord, this is what is going to happen. And I so appreciate, as Marcy and Alice shared this morning, when they first went into their car, it was kind of like, ah, we're getting out of here, ah, ah, ah. But then you feel the Holy Spirit begin to stir you. What are you talking about? Greater is he that is in you. I know, Lord, but <sighs> greater is he that is in you. I know, Lord, but I've done it before. I can do it again. And what happens is, as the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you're allowing the truth of what he's saying to you, you realize, wow, what an opportunity. And what happens? God sends two little mealy mice women. And I don't know how to say that in a nicer way. You know, mice are cute. But you know what I'm saying. In the natural. Friends, like Kristen said, if you knew the McCormicks, well, I'll even go back a couple of years ago. You know, when God says he, and I mean this in the nicest way, when God says he chooses the simple to confound the wise, the weak to confound the strong, okay? I mean, they're just, they'll be the first ones to say, they're no different than you and me. But I just love the grace of God that he does this thing and he just does it through people who a few years back, you wouldn't hear boo. They were just loving, loving people, but shy, kind of to themselves, like Kristen said. I remember, I remember Jamie, I don't know if I shared this last time or not, but we had Jamie and Alice over the house about probably seven or eight years ago. You know, we noticed one day they went to church here. We said, oh, we haven't got a chance to meet these guys. So I think we caught them or something. We said, well, come over to the house for coffee. So they came. And we had a wonderful visit, and, and we had a chance to, Marcy went on the, on the Cuba team a few years back. And anyways, ready to see the Lord doing stuff in their lives. But they said, Pastor, I hope, don't be offended, but we've been here for like 17 years. So I, said, I, did, I need more time. I was only here for a few years. They said, we've been here 17 years. We come to church 10 minutes early so we don't have to talk to anybody, and we leave 10 minutes early so we don't have to talk to anybody. It's not that we don't like people, we're just shy. And the reason I'm saying this is because all of us here today, we all have reasons why we can't. We all have reasons why we don't step out. You see, what we do is we allow our personality, we allow our natural mind to dictate what God can and cannot do, and we forget the truth that Jesus lives in me. All authority is given to me in the name of Jesus. Now go. Go and do the work of the kingdom in the simplest of ways, in the more bold ways, whatever it may be, but just go because the Lord is in you. And so what happens at this expo? Here we have this expo where people are coming, probably hundreds if not thousands through the, through the weekend. And what are they looking for? They're looking for reality. They're looking for inspiration. They're looking for relief. They're looking for maybe a spiritual encounter of some kind. And the Lord says to two or three ordinary believers, go back there. I want to send you right back into the belly of the dragon. 
where all these people are coming for help and they don't even realize they are actually leaving with more demonic oppression and drought than they came with. That's what's happening when you go to these expos unless you know the Lord, unless the Lord is using you. And so here they are. And what happens? God begins to minister. And what happens in the midst of that ministry taking place in that dark place? There are people one by one, one by one, one by one. What are they leaving saying? The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. You see, that's God's heart for us. God wants us to know that He is the Lord, that He is God. God wants people to know where there's dryness, where there's spiritual dryness. He wants to meet people where they are because He wants to send rain. He wants to bring refreshing and blessing. He wants people to know that He is the Lord. But that doesn't happen on a personal level or a community level without a few things happening first. Let me give you a couple things. 1 Kings 18, verse 30, we read, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. The first thing that was the key to seeing the powers of darkness broken and people turned to God was the rebuilding of the altar. Friends, I'm not here this morning to criticize anybody who doesn't have a prayer life. You need to have a prayer life, but if you don't have one, I'm not dumping on you. But I simply want to say this. There comes a time in a Christian's life, and there comes a time in a church's life when a passive attitude toward an issue is not going to cut it. It's not going to work. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to go away. There comes a time when leaving it in God's hands is not enough. And we've got to understand that in our homes, our family, our children, our relationships, our finances, our neighborhood as a congregation, in our community, we've got to understand there are times when it is only fervent prayer that is going to make a difference. There are times when only prayer that's not dignified and it's not all smooth and tidy, but it's aggressive prayer. There's a time and a place where you see so clearly how God how Satan has shut down what God is wanting to do, that there comes a prayer, a passion, that, that it, it's almost fanatical, that you come against the works of darkness. Now, when you read the story and you see that Elijah builds an altar, he cuts the bull into pieces, and he calls on the Lord. Why does he do that? Because Elijah knows the basis upon which he is coming before God is on the basis of blood that is shed to cover his sin to come before a holy God. This is warfare, but it's not going to be bloodless. And the same is true today. Spiritual warfare begins with you and me recognizing that it is only because and only on the merits of the shed blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross that we are able to come before Him and that we're able to tear down strongholds. And we understand that. But that's not just something we pray. It's not just something we say we believe. We understand that the battle is already won because Jesus has won the victory on the cross and we need to begin to move into that victory. We need to be lay, begin to lay hold of what it is that Christ has done and has promised us. Colossians 2 says that it was through His shed blood that Jesus what? He disarmed the powers of hell. And He shamed them how? Publicly publicly friends let that get a hold of your mind he shamed them publicly why so that every person who names the name of jesus has a record that he has been defeated this was not something in the secret not something in the closet not just something you read in the history books he has defeated him publicly so that you know he's defeated 
that he, he would be ashamed, that he cowers, that people understand, hey, I don't need to be afraid of you. Hey, I don't need to put up with you. Hey, I don't need to tolerate you. In the name of Jesus, you've been defeated, and you will not rule here. Defeated him publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Friends, if you want to understand the severity of the battle, if you want to understand exactly what Jesus Christ did for us, how great the battle was and how great the victory was, all you need to do is look at the battered, bloody body of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the severity of the battle. That's how intense the battle was, but it's also how great the victory was. And then when he rose from the dead, he says this after his resurrection. He says, all power, all power is given to me now. All power in heaven, all power on earth. And he looks at you and me and he says, now you go in my name. And you operate in that same power. It's given to you. Now as a result of rebuilding the altar, offering the sacrifice, calling on the Lord, the Bible says that fire fell. But here's the key. That wasn't the end of it. Look at verse 40. Elijah says, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. Now, that sounds pretty drastic. That sounds pretty severe for God to do that. You've got to understand that they had been practicing a system of worship that was destroying millions of lives. Friends, we need a fresh vision by the grace of God to the destruction of that the enemy is wreaking all around us. We need a fresh understanding of what he is doing in people's lives, in believers' lives. It's time for the people of God to actually begin to get upset again. It's time for the people of God to begin to see what is happening in our culture today and not accept it as a norm. We need spiritual eyes to see. There is a drought in our land. People are dying. People are broken. People's lives are shriveling up all around us. And we need God to touch our eyes again to see what's going on and to begin to see the blessing that God wants to bring. I believe that's the lesson here. It's not that we need to be executing criminals and blowing up abortion clinics, no. The lesson is that once you begin to see the power of God displayed in refreshing, renewal, reviving ways, you don't stop there. You pursue the enemy until he is completely overpowered. You know, I think if what happened in Elijah's day had happened in the average church today, let's just say even here at Glad Tidings, it's probably safe to say that the fire had fallen and that's about as far as it would have gone. Because why? In our culture, we tend to be concerned with a good service. We tend to be concerned with coming and getting blessed and getting built up and seeing God do wonderful things in our midst. And that's not a bad thing at all. We're excited about the fire. But hear me, friends. When the fire falls and the Spirit of God moves in the midst of His people, hear me, it's not the end of the battle. That's not all there is to it. That's not the purpose for it solely. God wants to do so much more than just demonstrate His power. God wants bondage broken. God wants people set free. God wants communities set free. He wants office places set free. And He wants His blessings flowing again. I'm so thankful for what God is doing in our midst by way of salvations and baptisms and healings. There's so much more He wants to do, so much more that, that we want to grow in. 
It's exciting to see people ministered to. It's really exciting to see people stepping out and being used by the Lord and ministering. But friends, hear me. It is human nature, is it not, for us to grow used to these stories. It's human nature, I promise you. We could parade people up here every single week. You could have testimonies of people raising from the dead, and eventually it's, oh, praise the Lord, that's great. You see, because we can be encouraged by what we hear and yet never make the decision to engage ourselves in what God is doing. There's a world of difference. It's one thing to hear something and be encouraged, but when you're encouraged to action and you step out and God begins to use you, then you begin to get a firsthand revelation of who God is. And you begin to taste and see the goodness of the Lord. We have to pursue the enemy until he is overcome. In our own lives, lives around us, in our community. And the way that you pursue the enemy until he's overpowered once and for all in a given situation is you set time aside each day when you pray and you say, Lord, I continue to participate in this battle. I continue, Lord, to go after the enemy in this thing that you have shown me until he is under my feet. Lord, I continue to pray until I see your manifest blessing, until I see undeniably that your blessings are flowing. And I want to say on the basis of this story that I fear there are times when we have rebuilt the altar of God, we've prayed with confidence, we've seen God answer, we've even pursued the enemy until the stronghold is broken. But here's the key. We have not seen the outpouring of God's promised blessing, and we wonder why. And I think the principle outlined here is that after all those things had taken place, there still needs to be a seeking of God until the breakthrough comes. Just try to imagine this. Imagine if Elijah had stopped there. Imagine if he confronted the evil, went to the mountain, built the altar, had the showdown, the fire fell, the people fell on their face and said, the Lord, he is God. Most of us would have stopped there. We would have thought, that's it. What a wonderful testimony. What a wonderful video to put on YouTube. You know, that's it. But Elijah understood something. Those things are wonderful. But the purpose of dealing with that, of those things happening, is that ultimately the river flows again. The blessing of God flows again. That a person, a life, a nation, a city, it actually begins to change and enjoy the blessing of God. The purpose is that we begin to put the cap back on. That evil is driven out and the blessing of God returns in a manifest way. The decisive battle has been won, 1 Kings 18. But what does Elijah do next? He goes to prayer. He throws himself on the ground, puts his head between his knees. He assumes the position, as we all know, of a woman in that day who's ready to give birth. And Elijah goes to travail. What does travail mean? It means work. There's some work to do. You're not that you're earning it, but you realize there is still a battle to fight. There is still work to be done. And there's a lesson for us here as well. When a woman feels contractions, what does she need to do? She needs to respond to the contractions. If not, maybe nothing will happen. The contractions are simply a signal that the birth is ready, that new life is ready to come. But if she does not push, if she does not respond to those contractions, the child may actually die in her womb. And friends, if we are going to see an infusion of God's power and blessing into our circumstances, into our community, we need to get back 
to good old travail and prayer. There's no other way. There's no easy way around that. It's something God invites us into. It is glorious, but the people of God have to lay hold of it. I love this translation of Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus said this. Let's bring it up. Matthew chapter 11. Will you read this with me from the time? Do we have that scripture? Read it with me. From the time of John the Baptist until now, the people of God are pushing their way into the kingdom. Do you hear me? They're pushing their way. That's what you're hearing this morning by way of testimonies. It's people saying, Lord, I believe your kingdom. I believe your word. I'm going to lay hold. I'm going to push my way into the kingdom. Why? So that I don't just experience your blessings. I just don't have a good service on Sunday. I'm not just being encouraged and my needs met. But Lord, life is actually being birthed through me as an individual and as a congregation. Just like a woman, when the baby's ready to come, what do they tell her? Hold on, hold on. No, no, no. What do they say? Push, push, and then life comes. I really believe Elijah is a powerful picture of the person who seeks God until the breakthrough comes. You see, well, Paul, I thought God did it all. But what do we have to do? Why do we have to make it? No, here's how it works. Revelation 5 and 8, the prayers of the saints are, are kept in a bowl before the Lord. And I could be making this up. I don't know. But there's how I kind of visualize it. That you have scales. You have bowls on both sides. Here you have the situation. Here you have the rule of evil. Here you have the stronghold, whatever it may be. And it just seems like it always has the upper hand. It always has the dominant power in your life or in our city. What happens? The people of God begin to pray. And the bowl of their prayers begins to weigh down. And when the time comes, the bowl is poured over and the powers of darkness are broken. The Lord is waiting for his people. It's not a matter of stirring God up to do something. It's a matter of the people of God getting so disturbed, getting so fed up, getting so passionately concerned with what they see hell doing around them. Whether it's the strip clubs or the casinos or the poverty, or the broken homes, or the darkness of a wellness expo, whatever it may be. The people of God getting so fed up with that bondage and that spiritual dryness with a compassion for those who are lost that they actually begin to seek God until the enemy is cast down and the blessings of God begin to flow. That's what it's about. It's not convincing God of anything. It's God getting hold of our hearts and saying, have you seen enough? Are you dry enough? Are you tired enough with religion? Are you burnt out on religion? Let me show you how it's supposed to work. Let me show you what the kingdom is really all about. Let me show you the joy that is in the kingdom. Let me show you the freedom that is in the kingdom. Do you want to be part of that? Then it's time to push. It's time to push. I'm going to ask the worship team to join me this morning. Let's look at verse 45 in closing. Verse 45, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, and a heavy rain came on. I want you to notice the heavy rain came after Elijah prayed. And he sends his servant. We don't know how far up or down the mountain Elijah was when he prayed. We just know that he set himself to prayer. And then when he finished for a moment, he sent the servant up to the top of the hill. Could be a half hour walk up to the top of the mountain to look out on the horizon to see if anything was coming. He sends him seven times, which means that Elijah is probably praying fervently over a period of potentially several hours. 
But I want you to notice this. Elijah didn't, didn't just pray once and say, Lord, I leave it in your hands. There's a place for that. But that's not what he did. And when you know you're dealing with intense evil, you begin to get down on the old prayer bones. And you seek the Lord until it happens. You don't stop. And that's the kind of prayer initiated by God. Don't forget that. God said, go present yourself. That's the kind of prayer that can end the dry spell, that can release the blessings of God. And I'm not saying that you have to get up 5 o'clock in the morning and you have to pray for 8 hours. I'm just saying that every one of us ought to have a time in our own lives as followers of Christ where at least once a week we get down on our knees and we are seeking hard after God. That has to be part of our life. And friends, for a congregation that's going to see breakthrough in a city, we have to come together with that same understanding. We've got to understand that this evening we have our prayer meeting in the altar. And we encourage you to join us. We encourage you to come together and with passion prayer begin to lift up our voice to see even greater things happen in our city. I'm so grateful for what the Lord is doing in our midst. It is just the beginning. It is just the beginning. But I believe for Glad Tidings Church to be the light that shines as God wants it to shine, when He wants the radiance of His light to penetrate every sector of society that we move in throughout the week. I believe as we step out, God is going to meet us. But I also believe this. I believe the magnitude of what, of what Jesus wants to do through us, the magnitude of power that is released, the magnitude of, of, uh, of, of uh, strongholds that are broken, just the magnitude of that, the volume of it, and also just even the, the category, you might say, of a greater things that we see. I believe it's directly connected to the people of Glad Tidings coming together and with fervent prayer, interceding for our city, and seeing the Lord break strongholds, go behind doors, prepare hearts when you go out to minister and live and work through the course of the week, preparing the way for us because the people of God understand their mission. The people of God understand that it's not enough just to say, Lord, your will be done. The people of God come together in agreement and begin to target areas in our community where the strongholds are, where the darkness is, and we actually begin to believe that God in sovereign ways behind closed doors of people we may never meet, God begins to break chains. God begins to unveil the blindness that's holding people back from the gospel. And like Jamie was sharing earlier, we see the Lord continue to do the supernatural, but we also continue to see the Lord do the greatest thing, which is bringing souls into the kingdom. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be written our story that a glad tidings church, what the Lord was doing by His Holy Spirit, that souls were at it daily. Souls were at it daily. Amen? Don't despise what God is doing. I know some people are tempted to think, well, well, that's just for a few people. That's not for me. It's for every one of us. Or you're tempted to think, well, that's great to hear. People are being healed. But so what if they're not coming to Jesus right away? Think about how stupid that is. Think about how stupid that is. You're sick. And God heals you. But that's not important because you didn't give your life to Christ right at that time. Does that make any sense? No, Jesus healed thousands of people. And when he preached the kingdom, they all walked away. He didn't say, I'm taking all your healings back right now. No, he said, God's still working in their heart. They know what God did. I've I got enough faith in God to leave that with him. He'll bring someone else across their path, someone will water, someone will reap the harvest. God is still working. His kingdom is still expanding. We're still going to do what God calls us to do and pray that more souls come to Christ. But I really believe that the, 
preponderance of the, the volume of what God wants to do is directly connected to the people of God, taking their position and saying, not just it's encouraging to hear testimonies, but Lord, I want to be engaged. I want to be engaged through the course of the week. I want to be engaged in prayer, Lord, to see even greater things. Because you know what? It's all about souls. And if I can tell you one thing and I'm done with this, feel free to start playing Christian. You can play me out. My greatest prayer these last few weeks, it's not been complicated. And I'm ashamed to say this has been my prayer because it should always be. And it's always in the back of my mind, but it hasn't been a passionate prayer. My prayer has been simply this. Jesus, make me a soul winner. That's it. That's it. Love preaching, love Sunday, but Lord, make me a soul winner. I just want to see people come to you. You know what it's going to require? It's going to require stepping out and talking and praying. It's going to require stepping over the nervousness when the Lord says, go talk to so-and-so. Okay, Lord, but what if, what if, what if, what if? I love the prayer of Peter. They went through persecution. They went through trial. What did they do? They said, Lord, we pray for boldness. And the Holy Spirit came where they were and shook the house and filled them with the Spirit again. And with boldness, they went out and proclaimed the gospel. Lord, shake us. Shake us when we come together to pray. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with boldness. Let the church be added to every single day. Every single day in Jesus' name. Will you stand with me this morning?